That gospel reading begins with Jesus' words, follow me. When I was in high school, I had a girlfriend who was Southern Baptist. And so I went to the Southern Baptist Church for, for a couple of years because she was my girlfriend. And I, um, I've not heard, I've decided to follow Jesus, that Joseph just wove so gracefully into that extemporaneous piece after the gospel reading. I've not thought about that or the Baptist Church or that girlfriend in, in oh, 30 or 40 years. <laughs> And, and if I appear to be way off track in this sermon, um, you would be correct. <laughs> Earlier this summer, I was meeting with a gentleman who's a longtime parishioner, but for, for all kinds of good reasons, has not been back in the cathedral in, in several years which means that he, he's not experienced the new HVC system with fresh air. It happened to be one of several days, many, many, too many to count days this summer where we had broken a, a record in terms of heat, so we appreciated that. He had not experienced the oak chairs and all of that. But even though he was 70-something, and even though he's been in this place a number of times throughout the course of his decades of being a parishioner, even though all that was true, walking around with him in this cathedral was just like walking around with a six-year-old. He kept pointing up. His eyes kept lifting up and tracing the, move, the movement of this great canopy of trees above us, which is what this stone cathedral ceiling is supposed to remind us of. It just lifts us up. Every inch of this building just lifts up our eyes. It was marvelous to walk around with him. There's nothing unique about that whatsoever. Many of us experience that Sunday by Sunday, no matter how many times you've been here, if you just open your heart and lift up your eyes just a little bit in this space, there are so many wonderful distractions, even during the homily. <laughs> when we went up to my office, his, his, his tone changed positively, he became much more re reflective, and he talked about his 70-something his years on this earth and all of its ups and downs, and he told story after story, which I just loved. He talked about one of the most dramatic transitions in his life was when he recovered from alcoholism and just the decades since then, how he sees everything so much more clearly. He talked about the joys and sorrows in life that many of us in this room could talk about because they're all ordinary and very human. And then he said, and he pointed up, just as if he was in this cathedral, but he was in my office, he pointed up and said, God was there all along. I didn't, wasn't always aware of it, but God was always there all along. I just love and I can't help but to see the relationship between looking up in this cathedral and looking up in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our stories, in the middle of all of our experiences, taking the time to just look up and see that God was there all along. In our opening collect, our opening prayer, we've got two of them this Sunday, but the second one speaks of this cathedral being a house of prayer. And I cannot think of a better image for what this cathedral is at its very best 
At its very best, this cathedral is not pomp and circumstance. The opening voluntary is named pomp and circumstance. I love the music, but not the title. (laughs) No, at its very best, this cathedral is, is a house of prayer. And it's very best, this cathedral, we come here and and say our prayers and then we leave here and we have a better idea of how to pray in the middle of our own lives. And when it's really good, we make the connection that our own life, our own body, our own stories, all that we are is a canopy, a stone dwelling in which the Lord dwells, in which God is. This is St. John's Day, not St. Paul's Day. But I will remind you of that incredible image from St. Paul that the body is a temple or a cathedral of the Holy Ghost. Both are made up of, of substances, two very different substances. One is stone and one is soul. But at their best, they both point upward so that we can see no matter where we are, That God was there all along, even if it's only in retrospect that we can see that. Only looking back sometimes can we see that. Before coming here, I was um, worked at an Episcopal church in an Episcopal school um, with Broderick Greer. We worked at a great place um, in Memphis, Tennessee, a great town, and God bless that city. It's had a really hard two weeks. But we had the the parish and we had a a school with 600 pre-K through 8th graders that were there every day. And it was just marvelous and wonderful. And they had a a wonderful communications team. And every year they would come up with a new logo or a new strategy for the year. And my my favorite logo for the year that they did, and they put it on billboards throughout Memphis against pre-K through 8th grade. And they had kids, and the logo, or the the saying was, start here, go anywhere. And I thought that was sweet and compelling. And I also always thought that that would be the best marketing campaign for an Episcopal church or an Episcopal cathedral. I would have it to say, pray here, pray everywhere. You'll be glad to know I'm not in charge of marketing communications here at the cathedral. (laughs) Evan Zowsley is, and she's, she's brilliant. She's an English major, and I pitch ideas all the time to her, and they usually rightly get turned down. <laughs> but Evans doesn't get to edit my sermons. <laughs> all of which takes us to this gospel reading about Peter and the beloved disciple and Jesus and the narrator of the fourth gospel. This Sunday is St. John's Day. It's the feast day of St. John the Evangelist, the author of the fourth gospel, after whom this cathedral is named. So we have a particular affinity, um, a particular love for the fourth gospel, its stories and themes. This is the story of where yet another story in which Peter gets it wrong. Peter has assumed that this anonymous, beloved disciple who from the beginning to the end of John's gospel remains nameless. Peter has assumed that he's never going to die for for some reason based on something that Jesus had said. Jesus 
throughout John's gospel is always rather mysterious and not always practical. And the author of John's gospel, the narrator here, is trying to be very practical and say to Peter and to all of us, no, our Lord did not intend that the beloved disciple would not die. That wasn't his intent at all. There have been for centuries all kinds of theories on exactly who the beloved disciple is. One theory that's, that's compelling and traditional is that the beloved disciple is John the evangelist. And that makes some degree of sense where John's trying to be humble and not claiming to be um, Jesus' favorite. Another theory that, that has its own logic and certainly beauty is that the beloved disciple is Mary Magdalene. Another theory is that the beloved disciple is Lazarus, and that makes a great deal of sense intellectually. You'll remember 10 or so chapters earlier than where we are right now in this gospel reading. Lazarus is the one that Jesus um, brings back from the dead, which then makes sense why there would be a rumor that would spread in the community that the beloved disciple, if it's Lazarus, wouldn't die again. No one knows but it's fun to speculate. One last theory that's perhaps the one that's most compelling, it's certainly the one that'll preach well, is that the beloved disciple is anonymous for a reason. John knows what he's doing. And John's real point is that the beloved disciple could be any one of us, and in fact is all of us, as we draw near to our Lord's teachings and presence, as we draw near to Christ's very heart. And I love that. And I think it really helps to give us um, some guideposts along the way as we say our prayers throughout the course of our life. Like the beloved disciple, whoever that person was and is, our prayers will not help us to escape death. Our prayers don't even protect us from grief. And our prayers, thankfully, don't save us from love and joy either. The substance that makes up the human heart is soul, not stone. And so we go through all kinds of joys and sorrows and ups and downs and changes throughout the course of our life. And what we feel is often contradictory and always complex. And our prayers never protect us from all of that. Instead, the promise of our prayers, the great promise of prayer, is not that we will be protected. No, the promise is that we will never be alone. That God is with us in Christ. Each breath, each step, in other words, pray here, pray everywhere.